Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to be. How many of you have never met me before? Just put up your hand. Oh, there's a few of you. Okay. Well, it's good to be here with you in church this morning. Um, I'm going to need your help. Um, did you know there was actually a study done that showed about your retention of what you're listening to and how you can actually improve what you retain? Um, so obviously, if you just sit there uh, and just cross your arms and you know sit comfortably, um, you probably won't retain very much. Um, if you make notes, then your retention levels go up quite considerably. But you know, the best way of retaining most of what you hear this morning is actually participating in what you're hearing. So when people... Oh, sorry. Is that better? Thank you. When people... When, so when, when you hear a good point, then you are welcome to sort of say, yeah, I like that, or yeah, great, or you can give a little applause, or you can do whatever you like. You could stand on your chair and swing your shirt in the air if you really want to, but if you participate in some way, the retention of what you hear this morning will be even greater. Now, it's not very English, is it? We don't like to do that, because quite, I'm quite conservative as a person, um, but if you want to get the best out this morning, then permission to participate in any way you see fit, or Barry allows you. Is that okay? <laughs> um, but I love being here. My name is Roger Davis. As you can tell from my accent, I live in Liverpool. And uh, I am a Liverpool football supporting... Uh, oh, now come on. Surely if your pastor supports Liverpool, we all support Liverpool, don't we? Oh, maybe not. Um, so, and uh, it's great to be here. My wife and our two kids live in Liverpool. We have done since 2009. We actually moved over there uh, to pastor a church. Is this okay still? Pastoring a church, uh, part of Hope City Church that some of you may have heard of, a, a guy called Dave Gilpin is a senior pastor there. Uh, we pastored a church and worked with a charity, director for a charity for about five years. During the course of that time, we met the CEO of a company called Genistar, a guy called Jeff Letts, who's on the board of directors at Hillsong down in London. And he was doing a financial presentation that I went along to, and uh, we started chatting, stayed in touch, became friends. And about a year later, he introduced me to his business, and his business is all about helping families in the area of finance. And I would go out from time to time and sit down with families and really just give them some financial education and help them with a financial plan. And I loved it. I really liked what I was doing. Um, you may not realize this, but pastors, certainly I did, I, I got stuck in a bit of a bubble. Uh, I would know all of the church and I would spend time with the church, but I didn't know many people outside. So for me, this was a great way of meeting some other people, just ordinary people. I did financial plans for cage fighters, um, <laughs> restaurant owners, you know, people that I never met when I was in church. And so it was just a great thing. And in the end, we had a very difficult decision, my wife and I. We could either stay on as pastors or we could keep building the business and the ministry of what we were doing there. And in the end, we made a decision to go full-time with the business. Uh, we stayed part-time as directors and we stayed in the church for a couple of years. Uh, but we now attended Audacious in Manchester. Uh, the pastors there, Glyn and Sophie, are friends of ours from Sheffield days 20 years ago. So that just sort of helps you kind of understand where I'm, I'm at and how I'm plugged in. But love your pastors, Barry and Vicky, and their amazing family. And uh, you can give them a round of applause, by the way. You don't have to sit in silence. There you go. You will retain that now that we all love them. And uh, that is now you've participated in that. And just love your church. You are a phenomenal church, faith-filled. Uh, love your worship, Io and... Uh, Fat Mon, you're doing a great job. I don't know if she's still in here, but just great worship this morning. Such a great spirit in the church for faith and worship, loving Jesus. And your growth is phenomenal as well. So it's a very exciting time to be in Hope Church, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Three of you think so. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, I, I, I'm not letting you settle, am I? This is mean on me. I should just let you sit back and just go comfortable. Um, but, but listen, it is all about the atmosphere and the energy that you create. It's an atmosphere of faith, because where faith is, miracles happen. So um, here I am today to talk about money. Now, there's a problem when we talk about money, and it's this. They've done some studies to find out why most people don't plan financially. And do you know what the number one reason is? <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> so I'm on a no-win wicket already this morning because this is, you hear about money and you go, oh no, this is such a dull subject. And I've got to somehow make it really exciting for you um, just to entertain you. So I'm going to tell you a story this morning that's in the Bible. And when I first read it, you're going to think, what on earth has that got to do with money? But bear with me because it's slightly left field, but I think you're going to like it. Is that all right? Why don't we pray and then we'll get into the Bible and then we'll have a bit of fun over the next seven hours. Is that all right? <clears throat> Great. Father, we want to thank you that you love us. We want to thank you that your purposes for us are to bless us, to prosper us, that we would thrive in every aspect of our lives. And we want to thank you for the wisdom that's in your word that is about how to live well, how to grow strong spiritually, uh, emotionally, grow strong in our health, grow strong in our relationships and in our finance. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning, just through looking at your word, by understanding your principles about finance, that you would bless us, that you would impart your wisdom to us. But most importantly, Lord, that as a result of this morning, we would be um, just, just stirred to act and do something different from what we've been doing before. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to change and that through your word this morning, there would be revelation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Not bad. Okay, so if you could turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings. Uh, 2 Kings. You know that this is the book where there's, uh, there's cannibalism. 2 Kings 8.1. Um, but I want you to... <laughs> don't do that. Was, that was terrible. Uh, you probably all heard that before. So 2 Kings 7. I'll just get my notes open as well. Did you get that, by the way? 2 Kings 8.1? Oh dear. Just wasn't funny. All right. 2 Kings 7 verses 3 to 9. <laughs> Tough audience this morning. <laughs> Tough audience. Uh, so now I told you this is a slightly left field story about money. Um, let me just set the context. Okay, so um, God's people are split into two kingdoms. And this is the northern kingdom. And there's a king on the throne of the northern kingdom. And their capital city is Samaria. He's not a great king. He's not a particularly good king. Elisha is the prophet who's kind of speaking over his life and telling him what's going to be happening. And there's another king from the north who comes down into the south and he invades their kingdom. And he, he basically puts a siege on Samaria. And it's getting really tough. And it tells us earlier in the, ch in, in the previous chapter how bad this siege is. It basically says there's a famine in the city. And it's slightly random because it says it's so bad that a donkey's head is worth 80 pieces of silver. I was thinking, why, why is that bad? You know, I don't know what the going rate of a donkey's head is these days, but 80 pieces of silver. I guess what it's saying is that there's not much food on a donkey's head. But if you had to pay 80 pieces of silver for it, that's tough times. Um, it got so bad that you could only, it was five pieces of silver for a cup of dove manure. Now, I don't know whether they ate that or whether they put it on the garden, but it was five pieces of silver for some dove manure. Um, 
it actually, and this is pretty horrific, it was so bad that they were eating kids. So this really is a bit of cannibalism in 2 Kings chapter 6. So that's just laying down the backdrop to the story in verse 3 of chapter 7. Is this on the screens, Tracy? Did you manage to pull this off? Fantastic. So there are now four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go back into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here at the city gate, we're going to die anyway. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die. It's good logic. So at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. So the men, the four men with leprosy, reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Isn't that a cool story? All about money, wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Okay, maybe not. I, I, I was thinking about what to share when Vicky sent me two exam questions for the messages this morning. She sent me a text and she said, could you speak on two specific subjects? And I love that. I, I much prefer being told what I need to talk on than just being said, could you come and talk about money? So she said, as part of your series on mastering money, that what I should speak on today is how do I prepare for my financial future? How do I prepare for my financial future? And as a good preacher is, I have three points just to help you take this on board so that you feel at home. Is that all right? So here's the first point if you are making notes. Is anybody making notes? Excellent. Good. Here's the first point. You have to believe that you have a future. So the first point is believe. When you're thinking about your financial future, you've got to believe that you have a future. You see, these four lepers are not in a great place. First of all, they had leprosy. That, was me- that meant that they just got excluded from the normal society and the way things were done. So they'd actually been outcast to the city gates. The city that they were a part of, there were no more scraps, unless you include dung, dove dung, scraps. So they, had, they weren't even getting tidbits thrown over the city walls. They had nothing. And they were surrounded by an enemy that wanted to kill them. But did you note how they figured out what their circumstances were like? If we go back in the city, we're dead. If we stay here, we're dead. But if we go forwards, it's 50-50. I like that. I like that thinking. Backwards is dead. Staying still is dead. But forwards is 50-50. Let's go forwards. So I don't know where you're at financially right now. But if you keep looking back, it's just a dead end. If you stay where you are, you're stuck and it's a dead end. 
So you've got to move forward because even if it's 50-50, it's better than staying where you are or going backwards financially. You have a future. And I want to give you some Bible verses just to help you dispel some myths about money and the way that we think. Now, these are specific to me and probably the way I was raised and the things that I just took on board. I was raised in a great family, by the way, but sometimes your own personal filters get in the way. Have you ever noticed that? So here's a couple of things. First of all, God actually wants to bless you. Now, you have to resolve that issue in your heart because when I first became a Christian... I wasn't convinced that God liked me. Now, that was because I was brought up in a church that was very religious, and everybody, when they gathered, had a really serious face on. Not like Hope Church. But they didn't look like God liked them. This was me as a kid. So my, my understanding was God must be really serious, and he must just sit there going, not good enough. So guys, this is really important of the atmosphere you create when kids are in your presence and people come in off the streets who do not know Jesus because how you are is what other people will translate and think, well, God must be like that. So if you're quiet, they think God's quiet. If you're dull, they think, well, God must be dull. If you're full of rules, they think God is just a religious guy going. But if there's life, they think, wow, God is alive. If there's, if there's enthusiasm, they go, wow, God must be so for us. If there's a sense of appreciation of everything he's done, they think, wow, these people are so grateful. Why are they so happy all the time? You see, when I first went to university and went to a church that was alive, I was totally freaked out because these people were happy. They had a smile on their face and they were full of faith. And I thought, wow, that isn't the God I know. You see, you are the display that God gives to the world. And so it's time to make sure that every Sunday you come. Do you know why? They used to wear their Sunday best. Spurgeon used to talk about this. Wear your Sunday best. Wear your suit. Wear your tie. Now, we've booted that out because it became religious. But the reason they did that was that they wanted to present their best. When they came to worship, they wanted to present their best. When people came in off the street, they wanted people to know that when you know Jesus Christ, you can be better than you've ever been before. Anyway, let's talk about money. <laughs> God wants to bless you. You see, 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Just read that slowly. Beloved. You're loved by Jesus Christ. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. You are loved. I pray that you may prosper in just a few areas of your life. So if you're doing well in your health, then watch out because your finances are going to take a nosedive because you can't prosper in everything all the time. Well, the prayer is, I I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health. You see, that's the father's heart for his kids. Isn't your heart like that for your kids? Don't you think, I just want you to thrive in every area of your life? Well, if we can think that about our children and we're kind of warped by sin, how much more can your heavenly Father desire that for you? God wants you to be blessed in area of your life. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, gives him a stone? And if he asks for fish, gives him a snake? But if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to you? 
I don't know whether you've ever heard the story of a lady who'd booked her wedding at the castle where Harry Potter was filmed. And she's very excited, and the wedding day was getting close. But then she got a phone call from the hotel, and the hotel said, we're really sorry, but we've double booked on your wedding day. And you're going to have to go elsewhere. And she was gutted. She was a big Harry Potter fan, and she just couldn't believe what the hotel had done. So she said, sorry, I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm, this was my big day, and I'm getting married here. So about five minutes later, the hotel ring back and they say, um, the other couple have said that they'll give you £10,000 if you relocate your wedding somewhere else, just to help offset the costs that you're going to lose. She said, no way, no way. This is my big day. I've dreamt about this all my life since I was a little kid, blah, 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 Harry Potter, blah, blah. No, not doing it. So a few minutes later, she gets another phone call from the hotel and they say, well, the other couple have said they'll actually double it to 20 grand. Would you move it now? No, not moving it. So this went on. She just kept, she was refusing to budge because of what she was being offered. Now, in the end, the sum of money went stupid. It was like 250,000. And she said, all right, I'll relocate. <laughs> the dream's gone. I'll take the 250 grand and we're out of here. Because on the other end, the other person booking it was David Beckham. And he promised his son that he could have his birthday party at the Harry Potter castle. You see, David Beckham knew that what he'd said to his son, he had to fulfill on, even if it cost him 250 grand. Now, not stupid, but whatever. But do you see the heart of a broken man giving to his son the very best? That's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, if you know how to give a good gift to your children, but we're kind of twisted and broken and we're not quite right and aligned, how much more? Can your heavenly father bless you so that he gives you good gifts throughout your life? That's pretty cool, isn't it? And you know the God of heaven and earth who wants to do that to you. Second belief is that you've got the power, to quote Little Mix. You've got the power. You see, so often we think in the area of finance, we are victims of our boss, uh, of the government, of our parents, of our spouse, and we blame everybody else for the circumstance we're in. But the lepers didn't do that. No. Have you noticed they didn't start just mad at oh, stupid king. If he hadn't been such a stupid king, we wouldn't have a siege and we wouldn't have a famine. Or blaming God for their leprosy. They just said, look, we can't go back. We can't stay here. We've got to move forward. We've got to do something. We actually have the power to change something about our circumstance. Yeah. And you have the same with your finances. If you constantly blame someone else, you're basically shifting the responsibility from you and excusing your actions and putting it onto someone else. But your financial circumstance today is a result of the decisions you made yesterday. So if you don't like the financial position you're in, then just look back at the financial decisions you made. You see, money isn't an instant thing. Money is always sown and reaped, sown and reaped. So the question right now is what was sown that means you reap your today? And if you don't like what you're reaping right now, you've got to change the seed that you're sowing to reap something different later. But God says in Deuteronomy that he gives you the power to create wealth. So you could look at Richard Branson and say, it's all right for Richard, dicky boy, he's lucky, he's a lucky guy. But God gave him health, 
gave him the intellect, gave him the emotional strength, gave him whatever he had that enabled him to create that wealth. And he should thank God every day. The source of his wealth is not Richard Branson as a self-made man. It's because his father in heaven has blessed him. Because God gives us all the power to create wealth. Here's the third belief that is really important. Constraint leads to creativity. Do you ever get frustrated with constraints on your life? You think, oh, if I just had another thousand pounds, my life would be so much different. My daughter Zoe, she's 16 and she's in year 11. And about a year ago, they sent out a letter. I hate letters from schools when it's about trips. Because it's always, hey, we're going to Israel. We're going to skiing in the Alps. Uh, We'd love all the kids to come. By the way, it's only three grand. And you're like, oh, no. Of course they all want to go, and now I've got to find the three grand. Anyway, she got offered to go on a three-week adventure to Peru. <laughs> thought, oh, <laughs> she's surely not going to want that one. I mean, you've got to go trekking, you've got to carry all your gear, you've got to go camping, you're going to get spat on by llamas, all that kind of stuff that just takes it, you know, all the fun away. She said, Dad, I'd love to do this. <laughs> so, all right, well, we'll go along to the meeting. Let's go and check it out. So we went to the meeting and they kind of present all the really exciting stuff. So all the kids are going, yeah, this is great. And then they say, and it's only going to cost you three and a half grand. Oh, three and a half grand. Okay. They said, but here's the really good news. You can fund it yourself by raising money. So I said to Zoe, Zoe, we're not going to give you three and a half grand, but you can go and raise it. You see, what we did now was impose a constraint on Zoe that said, look, we, we don't just want to go, there's the money. We could have done that. And some of Zoe's friends' parents have done that. But we wanted Zoe to learn that when there's a constraint, it doesn't mean no. It just means you've got to find a way around it. So she has gone out in the last year car washing, where she has just given in a leaflet that she made herself, put it through doors and said, I'm doing this for Peru. Would you allow me to come and wash your car? She has been invited to go and speak at different organisations in Liverpool where they say, if you come and tell us about the trip, we'll donate some money to you. She's put on a cake day where they sold cakes and people came in and they donated money to her trip. She's done competitions through people in my business saying, listen, I'm going to Peru. It's a a raffle. It's a whatever. It's a treasure thingy. Put your pin in where you think the treasure is. And she's raised about two and a half, nearly £3,000, which is pretty awesome for a 16-year-old. But what I love about that is constraint hasn't stopped her, it's just encouraged her to be creative. You know, in the area of your finances right now, you may think that if only you won the lottery, that's the solution. That isn't the solution. Because most of the time, if you win the lottery, you'll fritter it all away, and within two years, you'll be back where you started from. Probably had a lot of fun along the way, but you'll be back where you started from. But when there's constraint, It challenges you to learn stuff that's different so that you can then be creative. So with the dreams you have for your future, it doesn't mean it's a big no and a big crossover. It's saying no way. It's just that there's a creative way that you can fund and finance that that may not just be some sugar daddy giving you the money. Uh, Number four on belief. God has more than enough. Oh, now this is a biggie for me. When we were growing, my, so my, my grandparents grew up in the war and it was all rations. And after the war, when they were raising up my mum and dad, it was still ration mentality. So when I was growing up, it was still ration mentality. 
So now, right, fresh orange juice, right? You know you get it in the carton. In my day, and this shows you how old I am, you got these frozen, don't know if anyone remembers this, you got frozen tins of concentrated orange that you'd put in a jug and then you'd add water and you'd stir it around. Does anyone else have any of that horrible stuff to drink? No! <laughs> yes, I am 87. But, <clears throat> but now, here's the really odd thing. Not only was it horrible, we only had, like, you know the shot glasses? We were allowed a shot glass of orange juice <laughs> on a Saturday. And that was it. That was my fresh orange. That's why I've got slightly bow legs. No, no, I'm just kidding. But, but that was the mindset. It's that much. And when you've had that much, that's your lot. But God isn't like that, is he? No, no. I love it when the Bible says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. A friend of mine, he was another pastor, he said once he was declaring that, and God, he owns all the cattle on a hill. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good, I suppose. But what the Bible says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. I love it when he's dealing with Abraham and he's trying to get Abraham thinking bigger. And Abraham's in his tent and he's just not getting it. And God says, look, you've got to get out of the tent, Abraham, because then you can count the stars if you can. And that's how many your descendants are going to be. You see, you read your Bible, you're going to see that there's a God of abundance. I love it in Ephesians chapter 3, where it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than even what you can imagine. So not even what you're experiencing. Shut your eyes and imagine your future. And God says, well, whatever you've imagined, I can do exceedingly and abundantly more than that image you brought to mind. It's like God not only says more, he then puts a highlighter pen on it and then he underlines it and says, look, it's a seeding and it's abundant. It's more than enough. Don't you love the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 12,000, that there's always leftovers? Yeah. Yeah. And the disciples are trying to read into it, and Jesus is just like, oh, it's not that difficult, is it? It's just that there's always more than you need. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these are 12 basketfuls of food. This is a 12 tribes. What does that mean? It's just there's more than enough. There's more than enough that God is able to give you. So. Belief is so important because out of your belief comes everything else. What you think determines what you do. So if you're not thinking right in the area of finance and what your Father in heaven is like, it's going to limit you in the area of finance or any other aspect of our lives. Does that make sense? Is that all right? So here's the second point. Are you with me? That was a lot of little mini points. But here's the second point from this story about these four lepers. The, the second thing you've got to do, not only is have right belief, you've got to have a plan of action. You've got to have a plan in the area of your finance. You see, what's really cool about these lepers is they say, look, why don't we, why don't we instead of just staying here, why don't we just go over there? Why don't we go to the baddies, the Arameans, and just surrender and give up our lives? Because then at least we're in a place where they might take mercy on us and spare us. I like what they did. They didn't just kind of go, oh, woe is me, and this is helpless. They actually came up with a plan. And in your finances, the key to you succeeding is to have a plan. Now, here's the really bad news. The number two reason why people don't make progress in the area of finance, number one is it's boring, number two is they don't know how to plan. So this is a biggie. But if you think about planning, 
you do it with your sat-nav every day. You basically know where you are at, and you know where you want to get to. And then you put the coordinates in, and the sat-nav goes, right, there's a good route. And then you travel. Well, your financial plan is just that. So let me help you with a bit of financial planning. Let's just make this really easy. If you're making notes, just put these three figures down. How much money do you owe right now? So on your credit cards, on your loans, on your mortgage, how much do you owe? Now, I'm sorry to add mortgage to this figure, but it's probably the biggest amount we're ever going to owe. And did you know that mortgage actually comes from two French words that means death grip? So as long as you're in your mortgage, you're in a death grip. It's not particularly edifying, and at least you're going to get out of it. But it is included as money owed. So just quickly tot up or write down and make sure no one's looking because this is very private and very personal because we're English. Just write down how much you owe. And then write down this figure. How much right now do you have in savings? How much is in the bank? Now, if you've just been paid, don't include that. That's not your savings. That's your cash coming in. What I mean by savings is how much have you put into another account somewhere else that's being saved for something else? Quickly write that figure down. And then write down a third figure. How much do you earn per year or per month? Have you done that? This is the beginning of a financial plan. It's very sim simple, very rudimentary, but it's a plan. So what you've just done is taken a snapshot of now. Now, that is not a prophetic statement of where you're going to end up. It's just a reflection of where you are right now. So now what I want you to do is think one year from now. So 2020, February, the beginning of summer, as we seem to be experiencing it right now. Um, what would you like your debt to look like? How much do you want to owe by this time next year? Hopefully that figure is getting less. How much do you want in savings by this time next year? And how much do you want to be earning? You've just now created for yourself a 12-month financial plan. You've looked at where you are, and you've seen where you'd like to get to, and you can now start planning the detail of how you're going to achieve that. But planning is such an important part of your success, because if you don't know where you want to get to, how can anybody help you get there? Not even your Father in heaven. He gives you the desires of your heart. But if you haven't got any desires in your heart, he can't help you get them. So you've got to put something down and say, Father, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. Now, can you help me make progress towards that goal? Because now there's a plan in place. <coughs> the second part of planning is that you've got to budget. Now, budget is a dirty word in my vocabulary. because it's Now, this is getting to the, the most boring of the boring part of finance in my world. I hate budgets because there's the constraints. It's like, well, this is the money coming in. This is where it's now going to go. Tracy, were you able to get that pie chart? No. Okay, don't worry. So here's a very simple plan for budgeting. Now, remember, a budget is just deciding where you want your money to go to rather than wondering where it went to. All right? So you're just making a decision at the beginning of the month rather than at the end of the month about where your money is. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you think, okay, so I've got a, if, if all of the money coming into my bank account from benefit, child benefit, working tax credits, child tax credits, my income, blah, 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 um, money that someone else gives me, whatever that is, that's my money, 100%. 10% immediately is direct debited to your local church, Hope, Hope Church. It's called a tie. Now, Malachi is the key verse on tithing. Because God says, listen, I want you to test me in this one area called tithing, where you give a 10% tithe to the place where you're fed, and we're fed spiritually in our local church. And he says, look, if you do this, I'm going to cause there to be an overflow in the storehouse of your financial world. It's a challenge, isn't it, tithing? Sometimes I hate tithing, particularly when I've had a good month and earned quite a lot of money. Really weird. When now I'm I'm paid on commission, right? Weekly. So on a on a month, you know, a week where it's relatively conservative, tithing's like, yeah, what's the big deal? On a on a week where you get a little bit more money, and you're like, this is this is like, <laughs> this is a trip to Peru. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Now here's here's one thing that we kid ourselves with: our tithe when I make more money. That's not true, because tithing is a habit that you develop as early as you can. Because it actually gets harder the more money you have, because what you're tithing now is, the, is a holiday, is something else, is something else. So tithing is about a habit of a heart that's in devotion to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him. Now, some people have said, listen, we're in the New Testament now. Malachi is Old Testament. That's old news. We don't need to do that. That's not true either. You see, in Galatians, it says that we are children of Abraham and inheritors of his promises. Would you agree with that? And it was Abraham who actually was the first tither in the Bible, and he did it before the law was even introduced when Melchizedek, the high priest, helped him win a victory and he gave 10% of all the spoils. So if we, like Abraham, are inheritors of the promise, then we, like Abraham, tithe, and it was before the law and it's now after the law, and tithing is just a great principle. Even Jesus, when he talked to the Pharisees, says, you give 10% of everything, 10% of your herbs, your spices, blah, 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 blah. He didn't say, stop that. He just said, that's good, but you're not doing other things. So Jesus never got rid of the tithe. He just said, listen, you've got to do tithe and then add other things where you've got to put some more importance on. But tithing takes faith, doesn't it? Because if as soon as your money comes in, 10% goes off into the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be absolutely sure that the next month you're going to get more money in. But in Hebrews 11, it says faith is being confident of things yet unseen, things that you hope for. So tithing is faith in action. It's saying, I believe that all the source of my income, my wealth is my heavenly father. Therefore, as soon as it arrives, it goes off. But I'm believing that he continues to provide for me and my family. And he says, that's awesome. You've trusted in me, now watch me bless you. Watch me pour abundance into your life. Let, watch me now give you a return on that investment that is a hundredfold what you put in. And that's the, that is the beauty of tithing. It's a covenant that you enter into in, with God that he says, okay, you're bringing everything in now under my reign, under my rule. And your 90% that's left will go much further than 100% kept to yourself. So 10% on a tithe, 10% saved. 10% straight away into into the church, 
10% straight away into another bank account where you don't touch it. So you're saving for emergencies. Because if you save for emergencies, you don't need to borrow money when the boiler breaks down, the car needs fixing, or the school plan on going a trip with your kids. <laughs> now, tragically at the moment in the UK, only one in two adults saves money. So think about that on your day-to-day -day next week. For every two adults you meet, only one of them is putting any money away for the rainy day. That means that half of the population is depending on credit cards all the time to bail them out. Because emergencies happen. We're not immune from those right. as the children of God. So it's a smart way of fireproofing your finances. Save 10% all the time. Make it a habit. And then 10% into your long-term investment. Now, some of you, if you're on a working pension, that's already happening. But for some of you, you may have to take action and think, I need to put 10% into something long-term. <coughs> that's your financial future when you don't want to work anymore. That means you've got 70% left, 10, 10, 10, 70. And out of that 70, now you can allocate where that money goes. And if you can't afford Sky TV, you can't afford Sky TV. And if you can't afford, I don't know, Ferrari, <clears throat> get a Fiesta instead. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Now you've got, now there's the constraint. So you think, I've done 10, 10, 10. This is what's left. This is what I can now afford. This is what we will spend our money on. This is what we won't spend our money on. But now you're being deliberate and proactive in accordance with your plan so that you can get strong financially. It's gone really quiet. I do apologize. It's just boring, isn't it? That's all. <laughs> okay, so we've done believe, we've done plan. Final thing, you've got to take action. What have you got to take? Action. What have you got to take? Action. Okay, we're there. So we've done belief, plan. And then it's action, like the action man of my youth. It's time to take action. You see, these lepers, once they made their plan, it actually says they actually at dusk got up and went. So they didn't just go, oh, that was a good idea. Should we have another plan like that tomorrow? <coughs> these guys actually did what they'd planned. They implemented the plan. See, knowledge isn't power. The implementation of knowledge is power. So this is why my prayer at the beginning was that we would change and do something different. Because if you don't change and do anything different, guess what 2019 looks like? 2018. Yeah. And if you didn't like 2018, well, then you've got to do something now to make 2019 different. Because the power's in our hand, not in God's hand. So you've got to actually implement the plan you put in place. Now, I kind of nearly called this, don't wait for the miracle. Because a lot of us as Christians, we just think, okay, well, God, you're just going to have to bail me out. I just need another financial miracle. Gosh, I need the gas bill paying this month. God, give me another financial miracle. Then you go to the next month. Oh, God, I haven't paid my council tax. God, I need a financial miracle. But the lepers didn't say, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to wait here, wait for the miracle, and then we'll, we'll go. Do you notice there was a miracle? Did you notice that? There was a miracle because when they arrive at the camp, the army have fled because they think that there's another army attacking them. But the miracle only happened when they went. They had to do something before the miracle happened. <coughs> You've got to act first. Don't wait for the bailout to come. Do something. Act and believe that God's going to give you miracles along the way to help you as you start to implement the action plan that he's put in your hand. You see, with money, it always needs time. It needs time. You see, the problem we have is that we hope that the plan or the goal of where we want to get to is achievable tomorrow. 
And then when it doesn't happen tomorrow, we think, oh, it didn't work. Have you ever done any exercise? <laughs> wow. This is one fit church. So when you did some exercise, did it change your body in the first day or just make you hungry? <laughs> Isn't that weird? So I, has anyone done Joe Wicks? Wow. On my own. Joe Wicks. Lean in 15 or fat in five. That's the choice I have every day. Lean in 15 or fat in five. I'm choosing at the moment lean in 15. So you do 15 minutes of exercise. He says four to five times a week. I say one to two times a week at the moment. Now, what's really disappointing is that you've got Joe Wicks. Now, you know, he looks terrific. So you stand in front of the TV and you go, oh, look at him. I must, I, you kind of start to think that you look like that. Have you, uh, am I the only deluded person who's ever done one of these? So you start thinking, oh, great, I look like Joe Wicks. And then you're getting out of the shower, you've got your towel around you, and your wife's like, oh, it's not working, is it? Like, what do you mean it's not working? Well, you're still, you know, you're still a bit flabby. So, because I have, I'm quite thin, but I have a little paunch here. You know, like the Mr. Men? And it, there's that guy that's really thin, he's got a little bit, Mr. Thin gets fat in this story, and it suddenly has this really horrible little belly here. Now, it's ve- look, on a bigger person, they can carry that. When you're thin, you can't. Because what will happen in, soon, if I don't address this with Joe, is it will just stick out further and further here. And then I'll have, anyway. So, so, Joe Wicks is my solution, okay? But here's the interesting thing. I've done it for about four weeks now, and it's not changed a thing. So what do I do? Do I give up and go, that thing's rubbish? Joe Wicks, just a curly mopped head, no use to me. In fact, I'm going to tell everybody else that Joe Wicks, that guy's rubbish, doesn't work. It must be all steroids or something. That's not the truth. It's just that Joe Wicks has been doing this for years. I've been doing it for four weeks. But I expect to look like Joe Wicks after four weeks instead of four years. So I've got to actually build this up to get to four to five times a week consistently for maybe four to five years. When I come back preaching in five years' time, if you still have me, of course, you're not going to recognize me. I'll be so (laughs) joed up (laughs) with moppy hair and everything, and I'll come in my tracksuit, and I'll I'll do a little workout for you. But can you see see the difference? We do that with our money. We tithe for a month. Like, I didn't work, God. You didn't, you didn't cause my storehouse to overflow. I'm not doing it anymore. Scrap this tithing thing. It's a load of rubbish. And then you tell 10 others, it didn't work. I gave my mind, it didn't work. I'm still in the same position now. It's a, it's a habit. It's a consistent daily, weekly, monthly habit for year after year that takes you to a place of freedom financially. So your money needs time to grow. Your money needs time to get stronger. So the decisions you make today have to have a bigger goal, maybe 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. You're thinking if we can just do simple, smart things daily, we will get to a place where other people actually look at us and are quite envious. But we just knew what to do regularly enough to take us to a place where we found financial freedom. And that is the heart of your heavenly father, to take you to a place where you thrive, you're blessed, there's an abundance, there's more than enough so that you've got more to give because you're blessed to be a blessing. But it comes through belief, plans and action in the area of your finance. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray. Father God, we want to thank you that you love us more than we can even imagine. I want to thank you, Lord, that your love for us so supersedes our love for you. I want to thank you, Father, that for every person in this room right now, you know their name, 
you know the struggles, the stresses, the pressures that they're under, but your heart is for them, to lift them, to raise them, for them to succeed in the area of finance. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that right now what has been spoken today, what is of you, would just embed in people's hearts. And we pray, Lord, that there would be wisdom that comes from heaven that starts to change habits, change action, change minds, change thinking, that we would meet again in 12 months from now. And we would have story after story of people whose lives have been turned around by simple steps, applied consistently over weeks and months, that take people to a place where they are blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.